0: Good morning everyone, it's great to have you here today at First Christian Church. Hello to all of you here in the West, everybody in the East, everybody down at Lovington, and those of you who are watching church online today. Uh, Church gathered in multiple venues at various times, but all gathered together to praise the Lord and declare our allegiance to Him and to learn from Him. If you're a guest with us today, let me introduce myself. My name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team, and I'm very glad you're with us. And let's look at Scripture t- t- together today. If you'll take a Bible and turn to the book of Hebrews. Now, Hebrews is very much towards the back end, and you're going to need to grab a Bible or your smartphone today because we're going to spend quite a bit of time in the Bible um, going at it verse by verse, okay? So Hebrews chapter 2 is where we're going to look while you're looking for Hebrews 2. Let me tell you about a young man who um, has an interesting tale. Asher Potts is his name. He was a high school's graduating senior, coming up on his graduating class, sitting in speech class in his last year of school in late February 2016, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. He would transferred into the school as a freshman and done all four years there. And like many students who were on the verge of graduation, he had many plans for the future. His hope was to study aerospace engineering. And it seemed that that was going to be a reality because he was a model student. He was a color guard. He was the commander of the Navy's color guard in the JROTC. He worked at the Y training 10-year-olds how to swim. Each summer he worked in the university labs at Penn State and they recognized his scientific mind. He had scholarship offerings from a number of universities around because he was very academically inclined. Until... Three months before his graduation, everything seemed to be on track. But on a freezing afternoon, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 2016, February, his speech class was interrupted by two members of the local police force. They came in the room, without saying a word, walked down the row of desks to where he was sitting in a blue suit that day, and in a few moments later, he found himself sitting in the back of their police car. He was never in class again, never in high school again. What happened? What went wrong with this stellar student, this model kid who said, man, if anyone's going to go somebody who's got the, somewhere who's got the smarts, the ability, and the drive, there's the guy. What happened? Well, his story... Uh, if you will, the answer to why Asher Potts found himself in the back of a Harrisburg, Pennsylvania police car is tied to today's message about longing and desire. It's about deep felt needs that all of us have that sometimes we don't even know how to fully express it. We go, man, I, I'd really, there's something within me that says I, I, I'm longing for something else. I, I, I want to know what's, what's out there besides me and my friends and my family. How does all this really work? We're going to chat about that sort of longing and desire that was exemplified and seen in Asher Potts' life today. In doing so, we're carrying on with a sermon series that is leading us through Lent all the way to Easter. Here's our understanding that Easter and Lent are all about Jesus Christ, and if so, we need to know a little bit about Him. And so, throughout this series, we're looking at. The various names that, or some of the various names that are found in Scripture that describe Jesus. You might be aware of things like names like, well, the Son of God or Savior of the world, but you know, there are literally dozens upon dozens of other ways the Scriptures describe Jesus. And if Easter and Lent is all about Jesus, then perhaps to prepare for Holy Week and for our Easter celebration. We need to know a little bit more. A little bit more about him. And so today, we're going to look at two names, namely that Jesus is in Scripture called the Pioneer of our salvation, and he's also called the Desire of all nations. And to do that, to figure that out, and how that applies to Asherpot's story in Pennsylvania and to our own lives, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter two. So grab Hebrews chapter two. I need to tell you, um, Hebrews chapter two is uh, it's a challenging passage of Scripture. There's not a narrative story there that we could unpack and say, well, here's the beginning of the story, and here's the high point of the story, and there's the conclusion. No, it, frankly, straight up, it is theology. It is deep theology that you're going to have to strap in and get ready for today and see what we can learn together beginning in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. We read this. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, we must pay the most careful attention to what we have heard. Why? So that we don't drift away. For since the message spoken through the angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a few of those passages, those verses and see if we can figure it out. Because I need to tell you, at first reading, it's like, what? What's going on there? Well, let, look at verse 1, for, for starters. We must pay careful attention to what we have heard so that we don't drift away. There's something coming, apparently, that it's really important. And you need to stick close. There's a message coming here in Hebrews that we've got to make certain we hold on to. And you don't want to drift away from it, but that we have no clue at that point what this message is. And then we read this. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment. Okay, what's that? How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? What's there? Well... We've said there's something to hold on to, and apparently, according to to verse 2, it's a message that was spoken of by angels, to start with, that the angels had something to say to us, and uh, it's a binding message. Whatever it was, it it was some sort of law, some sort of, well, it was a commandment, frankly, a bunch of them, that the angels gave that we're supposed to hold to, and you go, I don't know what that's about. Well, to understand that, you have to go back many centuries before Hebrews was written, Go back to when the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt, hundreds of years earlier. And they were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years, and then they were led to freedom and emancipation by a fellow by the name of Moses. And once they left Egypt, the Bible tells us that they wandered around in the Sinai Peninsula for some 40 years. And you want to go, okay, if they're going to be freed from slavery and God had promised them you're going to get to go to the promised land, why didn't they just go to the promised land immediately? Why did God cause them to just kind of wander around? It would seem at first glance that they're wandering around aimlessly. Well, that's not the case. What was the goal of the 40 year trek? God wanted them to develop, uh, in that 40 year trek, they had to develop their national identity. Who are we as a nation? What does it mean to be Jewish? What does it mean to be the people of God? And then they would try to figure out their polity. How are we going to govern ourselves? And most importantly, in the midst of that 40 year wandering, they figured out, What does it mean to say that we are a people who have a religious and spiritual character? How are we going to develop that? And part of that development included, on a regular basis, Moses would go up to Mount Sinai, to the top of the mountain, and he'd have discussions with God, and he would get the divine approach, if you will, to the nation's life. And you go up to the mountain, wondering, okay, God, I've, I got all these people to lead, and we're out here in the desert, and I don't know how this is going to work. How am I going to make judges about what's right and what's wrong? And while there, the Ten Commandments get delivered from heaven. We go, Ten, what, what, all this stuff comes from heaven? And, well, the Ten Commandments, you understand that it's from the Ten Commandments that we have some laws, even today, that say don't murder, for example. There's something within us that we know it just makes common sense. It's the right thing. You don't murder, but in addition to doing it, saying it's within us, we also know it's so written down. You don't murder, or you stay within the boundaries of your marriage is another one of the commandments that Moses got, or don't steal, and Moses, while he was up there, got the parameters of how to live well, how to live well with God, how to live well with yourself, how to live well with others, and What's interesting is that I probably think, I think you probably never paid attention as to how he actually got that message. This binding law, these commandments that we're saying, live this way and life will go well. Disobey and drift away from those commandments and life's going to get awkwardly difficult. And Hebrews 2 says, since we have this message spoken by through angels and it's binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, we go, what do you mean it was delivered by the angels? Well, actually, that's what happened. In Deuteronomy chapter 33, we read that the Lord came from Mount Sinai, and he gave light to his people, and his glory was shining from Paran, from the mountain of Paran. When he came, thousands of his warriors, his angels, were with him, and fire was at his right hand. Are we read in Galatians in the New Testament that the law, these Ten Commandments, was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator, namely Moses so what Hebrews is telling us here is that these commandments were delivered by warring angels and these commandments, of the Ten Commandments, the way to do life as it was described for the people of Israel in the Old Testament, that way of life was binding and we know that not only was it binding them, but there are laws that reflect even the Ten Commandments in our national life today. And we know there are moments when we're going to be measured up against them. And the Bible says if we can't escape that sort of measure, then how could we even begin to think of trying to escape the measure or the the way in which we're going to be measured up against the work that Jesus Christ did when he offered his life as a forgiveness of our sins. That's what's going on here. Read again. Read with me chapter 2, verse 2. Since the message spoken through angels was binding, and if you will, since every violation and disobedience received its punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great... A salvation. a salvation that was announced by Jesus, announced by the Lord himself. And we're, in other words, we're supposed to pay attention, verse 1, pay the most careful attention to what we've heard so you don't drift away. Don't drift away not only from what the angels said, but also don't drift away from what Jesus had to say. So you have this first message given by angels, but then you have this second message delivered by Jesus. And what is this important message? Well, you can see it in verse nine. Verse nine, do you see that there? We read this. Here's the message that we, re- we know about. That we see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while. So what's that mean? Jesus was in heaven with the angels, but he left heaven and came to earth. He's now lower than the angels on the earth. He became human, he left heaven. We see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. So he goes back to heaven. And In light of the fact that he died and he suffered death the way in which he did, he's now crowned with glory. He's back in, now in heaven again. We see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered a death, suffered death. Why? So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. This is Christianity at its core. That Jesus was measured up against the law. He was found sinless. And by being sinless... And then dying, he chose to take on our sin penalty, our capital crime penalty. He took our place. And in doing so, he opened up glory. He opened up the place called heaven to all who will accept his death on their part. Read with me one more time. Verse 9 and 10. We see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And in doing that, he, what does he do? He brings many sons to glory. And it was fitting that God, for whom and through him everything exists, should make him what? The pioneer of their salvation. He'll be perfect through what he suffered. In doing all of this, we have one of Jesus' names as found in the Bible. It's a name I realize you could skip over quite easily. But it says that Jesus... Is the pioneer of our salvation. Jesus, the pioneer, another way to translate the Greek there would be to say the captain of our souls, or the captain of our faith and salvation, is the one who began this faith called Christianity. It at all He's the pioneer. Here's the first one. He's the first one who said, We're gonna we're gonna bring people to God this way. And that faith is for the whole world, and it's for each of us as individuals. And if we choose to accept it, we say, You lead, we follow. Now, that business of you leading and we follow has implications for the church. But before we get to the church, it also has implications for you and me as individuals. Namely this, for us as individuals, my faith, your faith, your Christianity if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. It's only possible... Because of Jesus Christ. Now you can choose to accept that. Call yourself a Christian. Say I'm a Christ follower. And you can accept that Jesus died on your behalf. Or according to chapter verse 1 of chapter 2. You can choose by virtue of being human. God doesn't make us robots. You can choose to say I'm going to drift away from that. But this is the message that Christians believe. We believe that Jesus came from heaven. In order to show us how to get to heaven. And that process includes choosing to follow Jesus, asking him to take our sins as as he takes on our punishment upon himself. And we have a theological word for that. You've heard this word before, but we call it salvation. And Christians believe that the salvation of God through Jesus Christ is available to all. It's offered to all. We also believe that apart from Jesus' salvation, all are headed to eternal hell. That's what we believe. And you go, well, well, according to scriptures, it says, you're going to be measured up against the law of the Ten Commandments, if you will, and you're going to be found wanting. And you're going to also be measured up against the fact that Jesus died for you. And you can say, I'm accepting that or I'm rejecting that. And if you're like me, I say, if that's the case, I want everybody to know. I I want strangers to know. I want my family to know. I want my friends to know. That's why as a congregation, we encourage parents. You are your your children. You need they need to know this most basic portion and aspect of their spirituality at the earliest age possible, at the earliest age of understanding. And for parents, we want to do a lot of things for our kids. We we'll make certain they know how to play T-ball and baseball. We we'll make certain they know how to skate when they go to the ice skating rink. We want to be certain they know how to do well in school and to play the tuba or to play the piano or the guitar or whatever. We want to be certain that they, um, they do well with their friends and that they're sociable people and we want to be certain they do well. So if they want to go to college, they can and all that sort of stuff. It's all great. Perfect. Part of parenting. But friends, can I tell you, as parents, the most important life lesson we can give our children is this. Do you know Jesus Christ? Get them to answer that question correctly. So to that end, as a sidebar, can I remind you that our family ministry department regularly hosts these events called family faith events, where we are teaching parents to know how to teach their children the story of Jesus Christ. And there's one coming up, March 27th. It's an evening, a Sunday evening. In this case particularly, it's about salvation. It's about how do you as a nine-year-old relate to the fact that Jesus died for you? How does that help you? And and so we're going to walk them through that. And and part of that will be that as we get to the end of those classes and as parents walk their kids through that process, we'll see that some of those kids will choose to get baptized and proclaim their allegiance to the pioneer, the one who started our faith. They'll get baptized. And we usually see a significant, well, all year long, we see lots of people getting baptized. But we do see some choose to get baptized on Easter. And that's really cool. Perhaps you're an adult, don't you? You go, man, I... Okay, so the kids are going to, some kids are going to get baptized, and, but I'd like to cl- declare my faith and my allegiance to Jesus Christ, and I've never done that before. And what happens? We put you in the water, and you're saying, I'm dying to my old self, and I'm rising to new life. I'm dying and saying, as I come back up, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you'd like to know more about that, both for parents and for adults, may I suggest you go out and check out the church's website. There's a page there called at firstdecater.org slash events. You'll learn all about it. If you want more information, grab one of the staff members today or go by the connection space in the the lobby and we'll be glad to visit with you. See, we are fully convinced of this, that of all we do as a church, this is the most important thing. And this is something to celebrate when it happens in families' lives. This is something to celebrate when it happens in an adult's life. And I'm, I'm aware of this, that the size of who we are and the different venues that we have going on these days, that when we get, when we have somebody get baptized, not everybody sees it. And I have this sneaking suspicion that from time to time, despite the fact we have lots of baptisms, there are some maybe who don't know what a baptism looks like. And you really don't know what's going on because you're maybe not in the service where people get baptized. And so um, we had a very cool moment last weekend. We saw a father declare his personal understanding of not drifting away from that message of Jesus Christ. And he got baptized. And then his son, same thing. We turned around and his son got baptized. And so because not everyone gets to see this on a regular basis or you end up in wrong, you get the idea. I don't need to go on about it. I thought it would be kind of cool for you to see what happened in one of our worship services last week for this particular family, the Fergusons. Watch and see it's a very cool moment in their family life.
1: Well, it's a very special day both for Josh and Ethan. Uh, Josh, who was uh, baptized as an infant, has made the choice to, uh, and kind of the practice of the New Testament upon his declaration of faith, uh, to represent what Jesus has done for him uh, through being baptized here uh, today with us. And then Ethan, today is a special day in that we know um, kind of in the Bible it talks about how our baptism represents our new birth, uh, being kind of born again, a new life in Jesus. But it's also Ethan's actual birth. Day, so his uh, Born on Earth Day. So that's kind of a a double win for you today, huh, bud? Because of your profession of faith in Jesus, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, and Ethan, because of your profession of faith in Jesus, your dad now baptizes you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, so can, we congrats, can we congratulate the Fergusons for that cool moment?
0: And if you've not been baptized before, if frankly, if you have said, "Well, I, I, it's not a case that I've drifted away. I just don't know about this. Can we have a chat? Can we have a chat and have a discussion about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ in this regard? Because here's what I said. I said that Jesus' pioneering work has implications for us as individuals. Namely, we choose to either accept or reject Jesus' message. But friends, it also has implications for us as a congregation. And I want you to be very clear about this. That as a congregation, i you know, I'll say it this way. That we as a congregation, we have to always keep the salvation message front and center in our ministry profile. Our footprint continues to grow out. I get that. And we're, we're graced to be engaged in multiple ministry endeavors. And I could list some of them, but you get the point. I mean, the list of what ministries our church does these days is pretty long. We do a lot inside the building, and we do even way more than that outside the building. And all we do, though, with dozens of staff members engaged, and with literally hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of volunteers involved, The ultimate goal, the long-term thing of what we want to see is this, what it says in Hebrews 2, that we're going to pay careful attention to this, that we want people to know of the message of Jesus Christ. That apart from Jesus Christ, people are headed to hell, and we're going to pay very, very careful attention to that. And, you know, we, we say around here, well, what's the mission of this church? to develop devoted followers of Jesus Christ by doing this, that, and the other, by growing and serving together. Very important for us, the growing and serving together. But friends, our task and mission is this, in the long run, to develop devoted followers of Jesus Christ and how we do it might shift from time to time. I'm okay with that, but we will not, we will not deviate in any way from saying the goal of this church, the mission of this church, is so that you and your friends and your family and this community and the world and the places where we can touch it, that they will know of the reality of Jesus Christ. We're never deviating from that. That's our goal. Devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And, you know, let me put it this way. We are not a social agency providing services to those in legitimate need in the community and around the world. I mean, the agencies that do that, that's great. And I'll be honest, we spend a lot of resources, a lot of people power, a lot of money to help people in very dramatic ways. But whenever we provide services, we must always provide those services gladly because Scripture calls us to do it. Jesus has this expectation that we are to help the poor, we are to help the sick, we are to visit the sick. We're supposed to visit those in prison, which we do. We're supposed to, when somebody's thirsty, give them something to drink. We're doing all of that, absolutely, because Jesus expected us to. But we will always do it, combining it with the story of Jesus Christ what we would say the gospel of Jesus Christ whatever we do has to be with this single focus that we are bringing people into a relationship with Jesus it's not about what we do what we do may change it has changed over the years but what we are what we are in the long term goal are we introducing people to Jesus Christ i want Jesus Christ to know, i want people to know Jesus Christ through our ministries. You know why? Because Haggai 2 spells it out very clearly. Haggai, Old Testament, gives another name for Jesus Christ. Haggai 2 states that another name for Jesus Christ is the desire of all nations. It points out there's something within people. There's a desire within each person to know of life beyond their own experience and beyond the experience of the people around them. We all want something better. We want to to have a future. We we need answers to the complexities of life. There's a craving within each of us. And Jesus, the scripture tells us, is the desire. that, That something within us, that there's a desire within us, and the answer to that desire is to know Jesus Christ. Maybe I could explain it this way with the story of Asher Potts. Remember the kid? Great stellar kid in class, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, February 2016, speech class, and all is going well. He's on his way to university. He's going to study aerospace engineering, and he ends up in the back of a police car. He never returned to high school. Instead, he went to prison. You know why? Because Asher Potts is not really Asher Potts. He's a young man from the Ukraine named Artur Samarin. Now, he attended that high school for all four years in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, but he attended as an imposter. He was anything but an 18-year-old about to graduate. He was, in fact, 23 years old and had graduated from high school many years before in the Ukraine. Here's what happened. He graduated from high school in the Ukraine, went to college for a year, and decided he wanted to come study aerospace engineering here in the U.S. So he arrived in the U.S. as a college sophomore, and um, went off to university and found that it was costing a whole lot more than he had anticipated. Was in a coffee shop one day when he met a couple who said, well, we'll come to your help. We'll come to your aid. We've got an idea of how we can fix this. But the ways in which they fixed it had all kinds of illegal activities involved and all sorts of malfeasance. They said, we, we can help you if we adopt you. So with false papers and forged birth certificate and all sorts of documents, they adopted him, and they began applying for aid from the government. They got money from the federal government and from the Pennsylvania government. And in return for them being willing to adopt him, they said to Artur Samarin, in order for this to work and for us to get this money, you're going to have to change who you are. You're going to have to take on a new name. You have to take on our last name and a new first name. And you're going to have to change your age. You're going to have to go back five years in age because if you were really 19, we couldn't adopt you. But certainly, as a 14 year old kid, we could adopt you. And uh, you'll have to go through high school again. And he did it, all in the hopes of eventually getting a scholarship through a university. But along the way, the couple made him an indentured household employee. He was, for all intents and purposes, a modern day slave. Later in the trial, he said that they forced him to, to sleep in a walk in closet that was smaller than Harry Potter's in the movie. They made him do the laundry and wash the dishes and have dinner on the table each day when they got home. If he didn't get the housework done, they would beat him or threaten him to call the immigration authorities. Asher Potts, Artur Samarin, hoped to survive through high school again, obtain a university scholarship, and earn his freedom, but it didn't go that way. He went to prison. He went to prison for immigration fraud, He served some time, received parole, and was immediately deported to the Ukraine where he lives today. The offending couple, for the way in which they defrauded the U.S. and Pennsylvania governments, went to trial. The woman uh, went to prison. Her husband did not. It's a terrible tale, isn't it? Horrific tale. And Arthur's actions point to the ploy, they point to a ploy of desperation. An illegal ploy. He wanted a better life, a better opportunity, a better future. And that sounds remarkably familiar to all of us, doesn't it? Those days when we say, I want a better life, I want a better future. And that tale of desperation rings so true, I think, would appear to me, at the thought of one day all of us doing what we would say it this language. On the day we meet our maker, man, am I going to have what it takes? Am I going to be measured up against the 10 commandments? Am I going to be able to pass muster? Can I tell you, friends, I don't have a sense of desperation about that in any way. While we anticipate it, and while that anticipation is frankly echoed in all nations, I'd have to say that Jesus is the desire of all nations. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, one day I will meet my maker. One day I will stand before God. But here's how I'm planning to do it. I'm planning to stand before God measured up against Jesus Christ, not up against my work or my own merit or anything that the 10 Commandments might say. I'm I'm planning to stand before God with Jesus Christ at my side, with Jesus Christ, the pioneer of my salvation. Consequently, I'll meet God with my future established and secure. And you know what Christians call that? Christians say, and we call that, I'm saved. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, this story of this young kid out of Pennsylvania, now out of the, in the Ukraine, and the way in which his life is just, for all intents and purpose, ruined. Uh, there's something about it that rings true. We get, God, the, the longing and the desire for better things. And Lord, first of all, I pray for him. I pray, God, that he would discover you. And then in the same way, Lord, that he has this longing, I pray for each person today in Lovington, in the East Auditorium, online, here in the West. God, I pray that um, we would, all of us, discover the reality of Jesus Christ and that, um, that, Lord, all of us would choose to not drift away from the message, not only the one the angels brought, so that we live life in ways that are right. We don't murder, we don't steal, we stay within the confines of our marriage and so forth. But also, Lord, that we wouldn't drift away from an even more important message. And that is the saving grace of Jesus Christ made available to us at the cross. We're going to rely on His work, God. His grace. We're going to, Lord, declare that we are saved. And Lord... To that end, forgive us of our sins, all of us, God. We ask for forgiveness of our sins, and I pray, God, that those who are yet not across the line of faith, that this would be the day, that this would be the moment right now when they'd say, God, forgive me my sins, and I want to follow Jesus Christ, and they'll take all that on, and they'll choose to be developed as a devoted follower of Jesus. Working all of us to that end, Lord, we pray in Christ's name. So, in all three rooms right now, we're going to have a time of communion together. And as we do that and begin to think about that, I'm aware that there may be some folk here today who have never been in church before, and you go, what's going on now? uh, Let me see if I can explain what we're about to do. Uh, We're about to pass some trays that have some wafers and some cups in them, and you go, we're having lunch? No, not quite lunch, but here's what's going on, okay? So, uh, on the night before Jesus died, he had his disciples around him, and they were at supper. And in the middle of supper, he took a piece of bread, and he broke it. And he said, this, this is my body broken for you. He said, this bread breaking is like how my body is going to be broken in the next few hours. And then he took the cup, a cup that was sitting on the table, and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood." blood, which is a lot of theological language. But it basically means that my blood is going to come out of my body. And the disciples didn't understand this at that point. But my blood is going to come out of my body and it's going to be, the fact that I'm dying, it's going to cover your sin. And he said, um, I want you to, whenever you get together, to eat and drink and to remember me, do this in remembrance of me, he said. And the Apostle Paul, when he's writing about this later on, he says that every time we eat and drink, we remember the Lord's death until he comes. So there are going to be some wafers and some, a cup and we're going to remember that Jesus died for us. Now, we have this understanding that if you're going to eat and drink, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And some of you may have stepped in today and you're going, I'm not a follower of Jesus Christ in any way. Can I tell you, you can become one right now. You can become one right now. By thinking back to the prayer that I prayed just a minute and a half ago, where where I said, God, forgive us of our sins. And if this is the line between non-faith and faith, know what you can do today? You can step over that line and say, I don't understand it all but I'm going to rely on the grace of God that's provided in Jesus Christ. And God, I'm going to eat and I'm going to drink and it's a new experience, but I'm going to say, God, forgive me my sins and help me figure this out. I'm willing to say I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I came in not following, but I'm walking out following. You're invited to step into that today in the name of Jesus. To pray together and kind of seal it. Would you pray the Lord's Prayer with me today? Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.